ask Matt and this, the word that you've given him to give to us. In your name, amen. Thanks, guys. Have a seat. Good evening. Happy New Year. All right, good. Got a, got a couple of responses. It's officially 2020, which in my mind sounds way cooler than 2019, just looking at it. <clears throat> Although, as a kid, for those of you who remember the show The Jetsons, I'm pretty sure I thought we'd be like flying around on spaceships and things like that. So we have a Max line and a streetcar, but we don't quite have <laughs> the, uh, the flying spaceships that I thought we would have by this point. I also read this week that we are as far from 1990 as we are the year 2050 which just seems really wild in my mind as a kid of the 90s. I think we're that far, equally as far from each of uh, those years. So I do want to welcome you here. Thank you for gathering with us. We had last week off, which is really just a way to give you guys a chance to rest, enjoy your families, enjoy your friends, and, and uh, for those of you who volunteer, just to give you a chance to, to take a break from having to show up early and having to set things up and do that kind of thing. And so hopefully you all enjoyed that, and hopefully you're ready for the uh, new year. Um, as a church, we often say that we are a group of ordinary people, changed by the love of Jesus in the context of family that are living out his mission to our community, our city, and our world. Now, it's the beginning of the year, and it'd be easy for us just to kind of roll into another calendar and into another month and say, you know what, I assume that everyone knows like, kind of the why behind our vision and values and kind of the what's and, and where they came from, why they exist. But we typically take the first few weeks of the year, we did the same thing last January, to revisit our vision and values as a church. Uh, one reason we do this is many of you weren't here last year, and that's really a praise. Not, not a praise that you weren't here a year ago, but a praise that you're here now. And so we take this chance, you know what, I want to make sure everyone knows why we have these values and why we have this vision, where it came from. And for the rest of us, you might say, Matt, I've heard this stuff, and you, you preach it, and you, you tell us this in coffee meetings, and it's just a good reminder for all of us to say, this is where this came from. And it really gives us a chance to kind of recast that vision. You think about a, a fisherman, you know, you're fishing, and Sometimes you're not getting any fish, and then you, you recast it to a different place, and all of a sudden the, the fish start uh, coming up. And so kind of a chance to recast this vision out for 2020. I love the idea of just kind of saying there's kind of a clean slate here. This is this new year. We're going to leave some things behind. Some, some of those are good things, and we celebrate those, and we look back on pictures now as memories. Some of that stuff was just uh, difficulties and hardships. There may be some of you who say, man, there's junk back there. I just don't ever want to revisit. And so we kind of leave that behind us, and now we're moving forward into this new year. So during the month of January, we're going to take the first three Sundays, obviously this one being the first, and we're going to look at our values. And then the final Sunday of the month, we're going to look at our vision as a church. And some of you, um, you may think the vision, like you think, is this vision going to change? Is this all of a sudden something new? It's, it's not necessarily going to change, but I think it is uh, good to look at it fresh and kind of say, okay, here was the vision when this church started. Here it was last year. Where is it going into this year? And how are we going to make adjustments and pivot? You know, as a church plant, um, if you haven't realized this by now, we have to pivot a lot. So I think about playing basketball. You know, if, if you've got the ball, we've got Ray Tate in here who's really good at basketball. And if he's coming at me, you know, I've got to pivot and move a lot because he's going to get the ball from me. And as a church plant, we kind of have to do that. And so just to let you guys know, I appreciate you're kind of on this ride and journey with us to make these pivot and changes as much as we can uh, to live out these vision and the, the values that we've been given. And these values, my hope is that you'll see that gospel family mission and we could have a lot more. You might say, well, my last church had five values, or maybe your church had ten values, and that's fine. But to me, gospel, family, and mission, underneath those, there are kind of some other, vision, or some other values that come out of that. But I kind of keep it simple. I want to stay a simple church, and I believe that you will see um, from the first church, early church in Acts 2, is where we really get those. And hopefully by the end of this month, if you're, if you're sitting there scratching your head like, I don't know that, hopefully by the end of this month you'll go like, oh, I see that. That's where these came from. 
It wasn't just Matt in some room thinking, these sound really good, or I wasn't at a church planner's conference and going like, all right, what should I write down now? What did my people want to hear? But these actually came from seeking the Lord and studying Scripture and seeing how the early church modeled themselves. And so my hope is that the next few weeks really set the tone for 2020. And if you think about the stage that most of us in the room, really regardless where you are in stage of life, but you're at a, you're at a place where you're making a lot of decisions that are life-altering decisions. In 2019, some of you made these decisions. Some of you got new jobs. Maybe you love that job or maybe you hate that job. Some of you made cross-country moves. Maybe you love or hate your new city. Some of you started college. Some of you finished college. Some of you started a master's. Some of you maybe finished a master's. Some of you started a new relationship, and you're kind of uncertain where that relationship may go. Some of you maybe found a new church, and hopefully that was one of the better decisions that you made last year. Uh, sometimes I was thinking about my three children, and I get jealous. I think, man, to be the ages that they are on Christmas break, they get a couple weeks out of school, they get all these new toys, they get these holiday trips as a family. And like the biggest decision they have to make right now is like, do I play inside or do I play outside? Oh, it's raining. Mom and dad still let me go outside, but I'm going to choose to play inside. So that's like the biggest decision they have to make on a daily basis, where most of us have to make much bigger decisions than that. And so as we flip the calendar to another year, 2020 has the potential to be unlike 2019. Truthfully, it's got the potential to be unlike any other year of your life. For some of you, this year has the potential to be the best year of your life. Now, some of you are holding on to that, and I can't promise you that will be your year, but for some of you, it will be. This next year, you're going to look back and go, man, this is the best year ever. There's potential for some of you to get new jobs. Some of you say amen to that. There's perhaps a promotion at your current job. Some of you have potential to take new steps of faith and grow in your relationship with Christ. But this year also has the potential to be the worst year of your life. Maybe you lose a job, or maybe you can't really get the job that you desire or that you want. There's a chance of a long-term relationship deteriorating. I saw some of that take place in my own life in 2019. It's not easy. It makes the year hard. This year, someone in this room may lose a loved one or someone that you're close to. Now, I don't say that to make you all of a sudden get down and not be happy about the year, but just going, we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns. But the one thing we can be certain of entering 2020 is that there is a lot of unknowns in front of us. But as we look at God's word, what we'll see is the most important thing that has already happened is known. Knowing who Jesus is and knowing what Jesus has done. Now, let me start this year, or really, I say let, let us start this year with an admission. Deep down, and I wrestle through this a lot, we indistinctly know that in our city, there's a lot of generationally unchurched people, and they have little desire to attend church. And I know this for multiple reasons, but one of those is if people in our city desire to attend church, I have no doubt that we would be packed in this room tonight, and we would be bringing out extra chairs, and maybe people would be sitting out in the lawn. They do that in Argentina. They always go the first Sunday of the month because it's communion Sunday, <laughs> and so they have to open the windows, and there's like people outside worshiping as well. And so I know that people in our city are actually interested. It wouldn't be only be our church. Every church would be filled, but we know. We've read the studies. We know the stats. We have the conversations. We have the friendships. People in our city just really aren't that interested. And there, there's generationally unchurched people here. And you know what? They don't feel guilty for not coming to church. Now, some of you feel guilty. Like, if you had missed tonight because we didn't meet last week, you would have probably been like, man, I kind of feel bad. I know I'm watching football right now, and I'm enjoying that, and I'm enjoying my, my popcorn. But I feel a little bit bad that I'm not there. But the generationally unchurched people, they, they don't feel bad about it. Their values and what they perceive as our values are out of sync. They don't see them lining up. And the reality is they have other things to do. And if, if we weren't people of faith, if we weren't a community, if we weren't a family, a church, we would be doing other things as well. So I have a few questions for you. I want you to chew on as we go over this next month. What might happen this year 
if the culture around us could see our values reflect the values of Jesus Christ? What if they really saw us live these values out? What would, what would happen to the city around us, to the neighborhood around us? What if this year our church plant began to tap into the brokenness of our community as a source of both temporal and eternal hope? We know there's brokenness around us. We see it every day when we walk out of our doors. We see it in our workplaces. But what would happen if our church began to tap into those areas? And we have started that. So don't hear me saying, like, well, you're saying we haven't done that at all. Like, no, we have done that. But what if we tap into those areas even further? What if the gospel actually sounded like good news to those that might listen in? Our first value and the starting place for everything we do is the gospel. Now, the gospel is the kingdom is the physical, emotional, and spiritual manifestation of good news on every strata of society. It is good news to both those inside the family, so I say us in this room, and those outside the family of faith. Reality is it's good news to everyone except to the reign and territory of the prince of darkness, which I believe that there is a real enemy at work that we, that we can't physically see with our eyes, and, and he wants the generational unchurched to stay generationally unchurched. That's the reality in a place like ours. And so my question is, why does the gospel, and I'm going to use that term a lot, and hopefully I'll unpack it for us some, but why does the gospel so often sound like anything but good news? Sure, the Greek word for gospel literally means good news, so that, that's one reason, but we must ask ourselves, is the gospel we extend to others really good news? Think about this message that we, that we have been entrusted with to carry. Is it good advice only? It's like, hey, if you're looking for a better way of life, I think this is, this is like one of the options. So is it only good advice? Is it only one of many options, or is it actually good news and simply by claiming to be doctrinally gospel-centered are we really in reality gospel-centered i would argue like we are a gospel-centered church you know and i i know the lingo and i know what i'm supposed to use when i go to the conferences and when i meet with other pastors and when they ask me questions like i know the right answers on paper and you probably do too if i ask my kids a, a sunday school question they're going to respond with jesus and so we get these questions go, hey, yeah we're a gospel-centered church what does that really mean what does that actually mean? what does that actually look like does that does that mean there's some form of prescribed theological understandings that we have to adhere to? Like, is that what it means to be gospel-centered? Is there some form of an intellectual agreement? Say, like, yeah, we agree on these points, so that means we're gospel-centered? Ultimately, in our city, these messages aren't very inviting to most, and they sound like anything but good news. So what is good news? I'd say good news is the gospel is Jesus, and we start with Jesus. And his, his gospel includes a message our message, if it is truly good news, centers on Christ's fulfillment of the law, his substitutionary atonement, I know that's a big word, and his physical resurrection from the dead. The gospel is the kingdom of God. And hopefully we'll be able to unpack that for you a little bit. I think for a lot of us, if we grew up in church, you kind of hear the gospel and you think like, oh, like when I got saved, like when I prayed some prayer. But to me, it's much, much more than that, much bigger than that. And so the gospel is the kingdom of God. And he desires to bring the peace of atonement and his eternal victory into all the manifestations of the brokenness in our city and our world. And according to Jesus, who is the gospel, he himself proclaimed the good news. He liberated captives. He healed the sick. He freed the oppressed. And he brought the Lord's favor to the least. I would say the gospel is powerful. Now, there's multiple places that we could turn in Scripture that we could say, let's unpack this idea of the gospel a little bit. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I had something totally different planned. We were going to go over gospel, but I had some, a different passage planned all until last night about 11.30 when Andrea went to bed and she sent me a text and said, why don't you come to bed as well? And I said, I feel like I'm supposed to change for tomorrow. So I started and then went to bed and then, and then prepared this fresh this morning. Not the intro and everything I've already covered, but this, this part of it. So there's multiple places you could go. As I, as I sought the Lord and wrestled through this, I felt like we were supposed to turn to Romans chapter 1. And we're just going to look at two verses in Romans. And the reason Romans 
if, if you know anything about the book, Paul's central subject in the entire book is the gospel. So if you have your copy of scripture, turn with me to Romans 1. We're just going to look at verses 16 and 17. Verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul comes in, he explains why he is so eager to preach the gospel everywhere. The gospel is the saving power of God in which the righteousness of God is revealed. Now I want you to notice something. It says the gospel is the power of God. It it doesn't say that it contains the power of God. It doesn't say that somehow it channels the power of God. It says the gospel itself is the power of God. So consider this. The gospel is the one thing in the New Testament other than Jesus himself that is referred to directly as the power of God. The gospel message, you can think of it this way, is the power of God in verbal form. And that's incredibly important, and it explains why Paul is so devoted to this message, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul and his life once he was converted. Here's an interesting factoid for you. When dynamite was invented in the 18th century, its name was derived from the Greek word here for power. Now, Paul obviously didn't know anything about dynamite, but I think it's still a good image to use when thinking about the gospel. The gospel is God's power to create, to redeem, to heal, and to bring back from the dead. The gospel is not about a new strategy. It's not about a new way to live. It's about an entirely new life. So what does the the power of the gospel do? I'd say in short, it's the power of God unto salvation. The, The gospel's power, it's seen in its ability to change minds, completely change minds. Think about your life before you were in Christ. Now, if you came to Christ at a young age, you may not remember this, but for those of you who were adults, like your mind was probably on the opposite track of life. One thing I love about meeting people who used to say, man, I'm, you know, I'm a staunch atheist and this, and then they come and give their life to Christ, is you, you see their minds were completely changed. And so the, the gospel has the power to completely change minds, has the power to completely change people's hearts, has the, the power to completely change your life orientation, your understanding of everything that happens with the world and the way that people relate to one another and so on, how we relate to one another. There's power in the gospel that allows us to have this family relationship that we'll look at next week. And most importantly, it is powerful because it does what no other power on earth could do. It can save us. It can reconcile us to God. Now, I think we're, you hear that and you might be thinking like, yes, I know this, Matt. But think about it. It reconciles us to God, the God of the universe who created this world. If we really believe this message and we sin, we separate ourselves from God, this message has the power to reconcile us to that God. Like that should cause us to continually just stand back in awe and wonder that that is a reality and that is a fact. And it guarantees our place in the kingdom of God for all eternity. Paul tells them, he says, it's nothing to be ashamed of. For it is in fact a message coming with the power of God that brings people to salvation. He says, it talks about the Jews. He first indicates that the priority there is for the Jews at this time, at this audience. And the salvation history as as their uh, election as God's chosen people. And then it says it's for the Greeks. This isn't limited to people only from Greece, but refers to Gentiles, us included. So we can celebrate that this message is for Jews and Gentiles. It's for all of us. And so this message is, is, and the power is for everyone. Everyone, that is, who believes. Now, we will always be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but if you've ever been ashamed of the gospel, you ever found yourself in a circle in our city, be very common, and realize, I'm the only Christian in this circle. I'm the only one who believes this message. I'm the only one who's crazy enough to believe that this guy came, lived this perfect life, died on a cross, and then he raised again to life. Like, 
okay, if I'm with my Christian friends and I'm at Sojourn on a Sunday night, like, we can celebrate this, we can talk about it, we can high-five it and amen it and drink coffee and like, yes, we've got this. But then when you find yourself in those social settings and you realize, I'm the only person who actually believes this. And some of you found yourself with other people who, who they would also say they believe it if they're in this room. And then you get out there and they're like, okay, they left me hanging. I'm the only one who actually believes this message. So we will always be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel message. I'll be transparent. There's times I'm in a circle. I'm like, all right, as long as no one's told them I'm a pastor yet, I'm not going to be the one. I'm no dummy. I'm not going to pull that out and tell them that I'm that. Because all of a sudden, all those negative stereotypes are going to be on me. Like, I'm just going to be chill. Like, hey, I'm a cool guy. I can fit in. Like, yeah. And all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah. He's I'm like, oh, man, it's, I got to leave. It's over. But the reason that we sometimes are tempted to be ashamed is the message of the gospel always will cause an offense. Because it always reveals a need that we cannot meet. We're telling people that they need something more than themselves. We're telling people they need something more than Dr. Phil, something more than Oprah, something more than, than these books they can go buy at Powell's. But the opposite of being ashamed, it's not a, an, a willingness, but an eagerness. And so we see in, in Apostle Paul, we see an eagerness because he knows the truth, the wonder and power of the gospel in such a way that he proclaims this message. Think about when you do something when you're eager to do it. I think, I think about Elliot here. He's always eager to do something sports-related. It's not just begrudgingly, like he does the dishes begrudgingly, but it's like, man, I'm eager. I can't get wait to get to go and do this. And so Paul was that way. And it, it wasn't because he ought to. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't like some religious set of rules, like, well, now you believe this message. Like, now you got to check off all these boxes. It was because he wanted to and because he, for the love of the name of Jesus, that he wanted to proclaim this message to others so that all may hear and that may, all may have an opportunity to believe. And so my prayer in 2020 is that we become eager to share this message for the same reason, Rather than giving to the temptation of being ashamed in a city like ours where it's easily to fill the shame, but for actually believing this message, for actually being a Christian. This, this is definitely a city where it gives you no credibility to be a Christ follower. No, no credibility to actually believe and follow these things. Now, you might be sitting there. And I know a lot of you have a church background. You might be sitting there going, okay, Matt, I already know the gospel. And so you, you may have already tuned out at this point, so I'm going to give you a moment. Turn it back on. And you may say, this sermon's going to be boring because I know the gospel message. I know these things. You're not teaching me anything new. Well, consider this. The apostle Peter in his letter said that the angels look, long to look into the gospel. Now think about how hard would it be to impress an angel. I guarantee that angels are a lot cooler than any of us in this room. And the angels, they got to see God create the world. They got to see God separate the Red Sea. They got to see Balaam's donkey talk. They have to be like the ultimate teenagers. They have to be sitting there like, okay. You know, what is it that, that, that you can do that impresses me? And it says they long to look into the gospel. And the thing that they want to press into is the love of God in the gospel. The gospel, you see, is like a well. When you get the best water from a well, if, if, any, if you know anything about wells, it's not by widening the well. It's by going deeper into the well. When we lived in South Asia, I got to see wells put in where people actually have clean water. And it wasn't, by, it wasn't these huge things. Usually it was a little small, like, hand-pump wells. But it was going deeper into that that you could get the better water. And so by going deeper into the gospel, that we're able to get it afresh and anew. In verse 17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I think we can get a pretty good grasp on righteousness by thinking about what it means to be right with your company, with the government, with your family, or another person. It's a propositional word meaning to have good or right standing. In other words, you have no debts or liabilities that you owe to another person or an organization. And so as a result, you are accepted to the other party because they have nothing recorded against you. 
You know, imagine if you, if you, if you uh, have a, uh, sorry, own a home, buying a home. I got distracted because we don't, we're renters still. But if you have uh, the loan on a house, and imagine you show up one day and it's like, hey, it's gone. Like, you don't owe anything on it. Like, you're celebrating that day. You're like, yes, I no longer owe that. It frees me up to do other things and be generous. And so we talk, it's got this, this liability that's owed. And so Paul is showing us, he says that the life of faith is all-encompassing. It is by faith that one initially receives the gift of salvation, eternal life, but it's also by faith that one lives each day. In other words, we do not become righteous by faith and then maintain it through our own goodness. I think that's another message that's kind of crept into the church somewhere. Like, you know, there's this idea of this gospel, and it's like we need to leave this message and accept this message, and Christ did it, like blah, blah, blah. We get that, yes. Okay, never say. But then we, we function and live it out like it still depends on us. Like, okay, now I've got to show how I'm righteous. Like, I've got to show how much I read the Bible, and I've got to bring one of those really, really big Bibles. I've got to talk about how often I pray, and I've got to talk about how I do all these things. But that's not what the message tells us. It says we do not become righteous by faith and then maintain it through our own goodness, but it's by faith by faith. John Stott, he explains, God's faithfulness to his promise and in the life and death of Jesus Christ always comes first. And ours is never other than a response. And so it is important to realize how much more is promised here than mere forgiveness. Many of us think of that Jesus died merely to forgive us. You know, and like I say, if you've got a church background, it's probably the message you heard. Like, Jesus died for your sins. Like, you've been forgiven. And we think, okay, that's, that's it. I got it. I understand it. And our sins were laid on him, and as a result, we are pardoned by believing in him. This is true, and I say amen. And if you don't know that message, please hear that part of it. That is part of the message. But I'd say it's only half of Christian salvation. If that were all Jesus did, we would receive a clean slate, just like we have here at the new year. But then it would be all up to us to add any credit to it and say, okay, like now, now go live and keep this slate as clean as possible. But what Paul tells us is that rather than merely being declared not guilty, we have also been given righteousness. Tim Keller described it this way. It's like receiving a pardon and a release from death row in prison. Then we'd be free, but on our own, left to make our own way in the world, thrown back on our own efforts if we're trying to make anything of ourselves. But then in the gospel, we discover that Jesus has taken us off death row, and then he has hung around our neck the congregational medal of honor. We are received and welcomed as heroes as if we had accomplished extraordinary deeds. This is why at Sojourn, we don't just start with the gospel as our first value, but we continue with the gospel as we live out its implications in our life, in our community, in our city, in our families, and in our church. The gospel will always be the paramount in our message and our mission. And so if you're thinking like, can we ever get away from this message or can we move beyond this message? As long as I'm the pastor of this church, no. In that case, you would need to find a different church. I'm sorry, but we're, there's no way around it. And as your pastor, I always want to keep us focused on the gospel because that is where the power is. The power is not in me. The power is not in you. The power isn't in the building that we meet in. It's not in some programs or events or, or lights or any of this stuff. The power is in the message of the gospel itself. And this is why it is rare, if ever, you will leave Sojourn on a Sunday night with a five-step plan on how to go and make yourself a better you. It's probably just not going to happen. There might be some recommendations occasionally, and some of you may want that. Say, when's Matt going to give us like those five steps for like a better year and how to make myself better? And the reason I don't plan on leaving you with those things is because I believe that there's so much more power of just standing in the gospel message itself and just resting in what Jesus has done on our behalf. I can give you those lists. I've got lots of good ideas. I got, I'll be honest, I've got a lot of things I think would improve all of you. And you probably have those same lists about me. But those are all our ideas. The power is in the gospel message itself. And so it will characterize my messages, and it will always be what characterizes the mission of our church. 
Nothing should get in the way of that. Not politics. I know we're in a political year. It's going to get hot and debated in our city, and there's going to be protest. But this will not be what characterizes the messages of sojourn. So if you're looking for that, I can point you in the right direction or maybe the wrong direction, depending on how you look at it. We're not going to let agendas get in the way. Good agendas. Some of you might say, I've got a really good agenda. Like, we're not going to let those agendas get in the way of the gospel message. We're not going to let our preferences or our desires get in the way of that gospel message. We all have those things. But we need to lay those at the foot of the cross. Doesn't mean we're not going to do some of those things. We're not going to get into the political conversation on Sunday nights. But it doesn't mean we're not going to do some of those things. We have to be willing to let go of those things and say, the power is in the message of the gospel itself. And so our desire at Sojourn is to be marked by being a group of ordinary people that have fallen in love with Jesus that are radically giving our lives away for the sake of others. That is the group of people that we are calling into this new year and what it is that we want to be known for. The gospel continues to radically transform every part of our hearts, our lives, and our ministries. And it doesn't stop at the moment of one's salvation. The most important thing that we can believe in 2020 is the gospel message. And let it change, move, and drive every single thing that we do. And this is why we exist in the city of Portland. And so at, some, at, at times, do we get decisions wrong? Absolutely, because we are still human and we are still broken. But you can know that every decision that we take is through the lens, I always like to think, it's like through the lens of the gospel. Sometimes I mistakenly put on Matt's lens, and I may make a decision, but I try to wake up, make sure I put on the right lens, the gospel lens, and say, what is it that we're going to do? What is it, God, that you want us to do this year? And sometimes I ask myself, do I really believe this message? Do I really believe the gospel? And do I really believe it's good news? Do I really believe that this is what's going to change the landscape of our city? Or is it just something that sounds really good to say on a Sunday evening? Everything we do is centered around the gospel. The way that we serve, why we serve, the way that we sing, the songs that we sing, the fellowship we have with one another, our prayers, the outreach we do, everything is centered around this message. And 2020 can be a better year regardless of life's circumstances because the gospel continues to change everything. Now, I'm excited about the stories that will come out of Sojourn this year. We already have our first baptism scheduled two weeks from tonight. If you didn't know that, we're still working out details. I'm hoping in the next few days before next Sunday, but trust me, they'll be on social media and our Facebook community page and texts will go around and phone calls. Like, I want everyone there and, and everyone bring somebody. Like, we want a lot of people there because we're going to celebrate. It's like a really big and important thing. So we're excited about this. And then we already have in the works our first Alpha group. If you're not familiar with Alpha, it's a great tool to, to really just provide a place, a safe place for people who wouldn't come. Some of those generation on church who won't come to this, but they may come to an Alpha group where we have dinner. And, and from what I understand, I have to go and shut up so I don't get to come and talk for 30 minutes. And I just get to be, and, and we can all be part of that because we need people to pray and we need some people to actually be there and help provide meals. And those details will be coming out as well. And so that's really exciting. And there's many other stories that I meet with you individually to hear like what it is that God is already doing, how it is that we're already leveraging our lives for the community in the city around us as we see the kingdom of God come here. And so I pray that when people look at our church, what they see is a movement that is continuing because Jesus is being made famous. Not because there's some other agenda, not because we're trying to prop up a, a, an individual, but because Jesus is being made famous and where we can find an irresistible draw. Because I think as we start to live out this value of gospel, you know, think about your previous life. If that's really being lived out, it's something that's so attractive about it. Something that people just long for and something that people want as they see the biblical faithful community coming out of that as well. And so we want to structure our life this year as a church around these core values of gospel, family, and mission. Now, how do we, as a kingdom-centered church, understand the application of the gospel? Like, what does this, this kind of practically look like? I'm going to say we, meaning really like kind of I is leading you guys, but we are five things. 
One is we are convinced that good deeds and good news cannot and should not be separated from any orthodox understanding of the gospel. You think some churches, it's all about, like, we're just going to proclaim this message, proclaim it, proclaim it, and proclaim it. And it's like, man, it's on them. They didn't respond. But we're, we're not going to actually tangibly, physically do anything. And you got other churches who are like, man, we're just going to roll up our sleeves, and we're going to get shovels, and we're going to serve, and serve, and serve, serve the needs that they never proclaim this message. So I'm like, it doesn't really matter what faith you are if you're only doing this and you're not doing this. And if you're doing this over here, then we're, there's something out of balance. Think about a, a, a bike uh, a hub on a, on a bike. And so we are going to have both of those together. And so gospel proclamation in word and in deed. We're going to have both of those. Second thing is we believe ministering and serving are the natural expressions of everyday living out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, we can gain knowledge through teaching, hopefully good teaching. And if you're thinking, well, that's questionable, I signed up for a preaching cohort. I'm taking that for the first six months of the year because I want to improve as a leader. So you guys know, like, I want to be a better leader for you. I want to be a better communicator for you in all areas of life. And so we can always have good teaching. We can podcast and find good teaching. But spiritual transformation comes from personal involvement in gospel ministry and service. And so we need everyone involved. And everyone saying, God, what is my part in that? The third thing is we see our gospel presence as vital to the health and well-being of the neighborhoods of our city and specifically in northeast Portland. And so we seek to serve and bless the city and never monopolize it. I believe this message, not only our church, we, that's why we network and do joint services with Movement Church and with Eastbridge Church and Woodstock Community Church and then uh, even, even others in our neighborhood because it's not about us, but it's about this message. So we want to link arms with it because we believe it's vital to the health of our neighborhoods and of our city. The fourth thing is we anticipate a positive reaction by kingdom seekers to the living gospel being demonstrated through word and deed in a manner of grace and truth. As people see this lived out, they're naturally going to ask questions. I get questions already from the partnerships we have. Why, why do you guys do this? Why would a church, we just wrote a check, and it's not a big check, but we wrote a $200 check to Vernon School because we told them the money we raised from our kids' camp, we'd give it to them. I had been a little delayed, unfortunately, but I get to them, they go, why would, why would you guys give a $200 check? Because we told you that we would do this because we care about you because we love Vernon and we want to partner with you guys and make this a better place. And the fifth thing is we desire to be evangelistically potent. As the gospel message is validated by a community whose priorities are transformed by that same gospel has an irresistible gravitational pull on a skeptical world. And so sometimes people say, hey, when are we going to grow? Trust me, nobody wants us to grow more than I do. No one as an Enneagram 3 beats himself up more than I do based on the size of our church. It's, it, it takes me to some deep, dark places at times. And so people say, when are we going to grow? Now, some of you might be like, I don't want us to grow. I love our size, but when are we going to grow? It's going to grow through all of us living out the power of the gospel. And as we see that, that will be a gravitational pull. And so once again, it's not some, some strategy I'm going to come up with. We could do all the kids' camps in the world, and that's not going to be what does it. Now, we're going to keep doing those things as God leads and guides and directs us. But it's the power of the gospel that's been handed to every single one of us that we get to carry it with us wherever it is that we go. And so my concluding questions are this. What will our community look like at the end of 2020? What will, our kingdom, what will our community look like at the end of 2025 if King Jesus gets his way? So I like to kind of think of like, yes, this next year. I think by any time you start a new job or you start school, they're like, what's your five-year plan? So what's our five-year plan? What's our one-year plan? What's our five-year plan? What will our community look like at the end of this year? And what will our community look like at the end of the next five years if Jesus gets his way? My second question, are we as eager to share the gospel and invite someone into this spiritual journey as Paul was? We often say at Sojourn that we're inviting people to take a, a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus and follow him faithfully in our city. And so are we as eager as the Apostle Paul was to, to invite someone onto this journey? 
Who is the one person that you can identify in your life that you can share the gospel with this year? You see, I'm not even asking you to come up with one a day or, or one a week. Who's the one person who you can be intentional with? Not as a bait and switch, not just to get them to make a decision. Who's the one person that you genuinely just love and say, man, if they just knew and understood this message the way that I did, they, their life would be so much fuller and richer. Start by praying for them tonight. Write that person's name down or have an alarm on your phone, whatever you need to do. Start by praying for that individual. Because if you're like me, that's often one of the last things you do. Say, man, I'm working really hard at this. And I'm trying to have lunches and, oh, maybe I, should, maybe I should pray. So start by praying for them. Invite them to one of our gatherings. You say, remember, they're one of those un, um, Generation Unchurched people. They're not going to come. All right, invite them to gospel community. Maybe they won't come to that. Invite them to your table. Could be your, your discipleship table or it could be your tangible table at your house. Invite them to one of our serve nights. Our city loves nothing more than to serve. And so when you tell them we are going to go cook a meal and serve it, they're going to say, yes, I'll do that. And probably not going to come to this thing first, although they might. But whatever it is, just invite them to something. Don't say no for people. I think oftentimes we're guilty of saying no for somebody else. Invite them over for dinner. If you remember back to our series, Around the Table, invite them over for dinner or go out to coffee at least once a month, if nothing else. Because if you're praying for that person and then you're genuinely wanting to be hospitable with them, just have a genuine relationship with them. Conversations are naturally going to happen. And so we're going to transition into our response time for the first Sunday of, of 2020. We're going to worship by singing songs of praise. James is going to lead us to a couple more songs. We'll give of our time, our talents, our treasure. You know, I want, I want to celebrate. I didn't want to interrupt Crystal, but I want to celebrate that we gave $500 to overseas missions. I know that doesn't seem like a lot. But every dollar literally counts. James' family served overseas with the organization that we're supporting. Every dollar counts. You can talk to him about stories. And so hopefully we can even grow in that. We didn't want to set a goal this year. We thought, you know what, let's just see, like, how much we give as a church. Like, I think $500 is awesome. Like, we should celebrate that. And then we want to continue to be generous, not for ourselves, but for the sake of the city and the world around us. And then we celebrate through the Lord's table. And so you're going to hear this. Again and again and again, but I love the imagery of when we come into this and we come to the table, that's a chance for us to, in a sense, begin again. Like, here we are at the beginning of a year. We had, we had an extra week that we didn't gather, and so some of you might be like, man, I can't wait to get that communion table. But it's the chance to say, man, we believe this message again, and we want to commit again to what Jesus did. And so allow this to be that time of examination and reflection as you remember the death of Christ, as you remember and anticipate his return this gospel message, this power. Once again, it's not based on your righteousness after that moment of salvation, but that you've been made righteous in his side, in his eyes. And so the bread and the cup are the symbols of his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us and for the salvation of the world, which is why as often as we gather, we want to remember by taking of the elements of the bread and the wine. And so let me pray for us. James is going to come back up and lead us in song, and we will respond in worship to Jesus. God, we thank you for the beginning of a year. God, it's always a, a way of a fresh start where we can leave the previous year behind, the good and the bad, the ugly, the junk that we just don't even want to have to think about. God, and I'm reminded of the, of the clean slate that you did give us at the moment of salvation when you call us to yourself. And God, that this, this passage tonight reminds us that, yes, there's the gospel message, but then there's faith by faith, that there's power in this message. And God, that you have made us righteous 
because of you, not because of us, but because of you, and that we get to be looked at as righteous in your sight. God, I think we get so used to hearing that message the longer we're in church, but may we fall in love with you over and over again. May we leave here in the awe and wonder of that message made afresh. And God, may we see that this coming year that you give us the opportunity to live out this value as a church of the gospel. And God, that it literally changes everything about our life. It changes every decision we make, how we spend our money, how we relate to one another, how we parent, what kind of spouse we are, what kind of neighbor we are. And God, that you have given us this message that we get to go carry individually to those places where we live and work and play. But God, that we get to carry it as a as a body as well, as your body, as your church. And God, we ask that this year that we would not see that message as something as a, that it's hoarded over our heads and that it's some religious duty, but God, that we're just eager because we love you and we love this message. And God, that we are humbled at the fact that you would even allow us to be called sons and daughters and that we would find our identity and our rest in you in 2020. But God, that we would be so eager to invite others in our city into that message as well. God, we give this year over to you. I pray for the people of Sojourn. God, I pray that you would continue to unite us to you and to one another. In your name we pray. Amen. Sojourn, the table is open. I'll be back in the corner there. Here's available if you need it. The time is yours. Worship accordingly.